Why do you clap? It's not just they do it on film. <laughs> so you know the starting point. But now we just messed up. What's up? Welcome to We're Just Winging It. My name is James Garden. And I am Patrick Sauer. And uh, yeah, welcome to the podcast. Uh, so Patrick, what's been what's been new with you? What's been going on in your world? Uh, I mean, you know, not a whole lot different than the usual. Uh, since last week, I have participated in my first ever cotillion debutante ball. Okay. Where... Uh, I was privileged to be asked to be uh, the substitute father of a girl here in the area who was debuting. <clears throat> so kind of the culmination of, of all these rehearsals and practices that were taking place since October um, and being able to, to actually go to and be a part of this really fancy ball for this really, really special young lady. Uh, it was really fun to be able to be a part of that. Do these dances and, and not mess up too bad. Um, and just have some fun with it. Um, I have continued to uh, burrow down into just wild videos that are seen on the internet uh, and just these crazy conspiracy theories, none of which I believe in or agree with, but I'm still wildly intrigued and fascinated by all of these things, um, some of which you have put me on to. I apologize. Because you just know that they pissed me off. I'm so sorry. (laughs) You're not sorry. I am. I am. Um, Bottom of my heart. Because my obsessive personality means that, like, I just have to look into all of the things. (laughs) And then I just get so triggered and I get so pissed. And I'm even more mad because that's exactly what they want. It is what they... So are we going to get a, like, a YouTube channel of you dancing? Of me, like, from the cotillion? Yeah, like, so no. So now are you going to start a dance channel? Because, like, you're pretty much a professional dancer now. <sighs> well. <laughs> I saw photos, so. <laughs> you did. Uh, photos don't don't show the whole story. Uh, and that's a good thing. Uh, no, no. Oh, okay. Dancers, dancers, no. No new we're career. Not, we're not going to. We're not having a midlife crisis where I'm going to become a professional dancer. You're not going to get a TikTok or Thriller page and just start. I don't know what those things are. <laughs> I really don't. I really, I don't. I've heard people use TikTok as a diss. Like I heard in the hallways at school this last week, actually. Okay. This guy said to this girl, "You look like a TikTok dancer." Oh wow! And I don't know what that means. Uh... I don't know what the implication of that is because I don't fully understand yeah, TikTok. Yeah, yeah. Okay. What's TikTok? So uh, TikTok and – We're not endorsing them because they're not giving us any I money. I mean, unless they want to. Um, but are like, open to sponsorships. Uh, TikTok used to be owned by – they bought out a different company. But TikTok and Thriller, from my understanding, are similar to what Vine did in oh, the man, internet R. space. Vine. Yeah, RIP Vine. <laughs> Vine. I thought they were going to the come back and they the didn't. World. I, I want to say the videos are a little longer than six seconds, but um, what's been going on with like TikTok and Thriller is that a lot of people have been doing dance videos to different songs, and these songs end up going viral. One of those songs being one of your favorite songs, Stop. Wrangler on My Booty. Stop. <laughs> I, think, I think that went viral on TikTok before um, it hit a lot of our ears. So yeah, it's like this. It's, TikTok is also a song of a, a, a title of a Kesha song. Oh yeah, this is a song by Kesha. Is that, uh, are they connected at all? They're not connected. Okay. Um, I do enjoy the Kesha song. Um, are you a Kesha fan? Ah, uh, sometimes. 
Okay. Sometimes. She okay. has some records that I like a lot, but uh, you won't catch me in my room alone listening to. Hold on, wait. To... You said that there's some records of hers that you like? Like, you like full albums? No, 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 no. I mean songs, songs. I apologize. Not full albums. <laughs> I don't I don't listen to it that much, Kesha. It's cool if you do. I, if I did, it. it would be awesome. <clears throat> um, it's just that's not my jam. Okay. Well, what is your jam, James? What have you been doing? Um. So, you know, now that I'm a world-renowned journalist... <laughs> world world renowned no i did have a i wrote an article about my experience of watching the live stream of kanye's coachella performance uh and then through a mutual friend uh, philip cornish the uh md ended up reading it and sharing it and so it kind of like went crazy did you just name drop yeah name dropped <laughs> a little bit a little slight flex uh no but y'all y'all honestly should look into like the amazing people that were a part of like the actual production of it um like philip cornish uh jason white uh, they they just i think when we see something of this magnitude we have to realize it's done with a team so it's been really dope to like see some members of that team appreciate what i said about uh what they did so yeah just that um do you feel like do you feel like you had like was there like a specific hot take that you had about the performance that was different than what other people thought or so i think like why do you think uh, you know like the article really has kind of blown up in some degree yeah and so why like um because it's not your writing ability <laughs> it's definitely not my writing ability uh if you ask any of my students <laughs> i misspell things on a whiteboard all the time um it's pretty bad i I try to spell out appreciate, and I struggle. That's the worst. Right? Uh, there's no spell check on whiteboards. But I, I think um, I think I, I captured – I think I talked about it not being only about Kanye. So I think every other hot take has been like Kanye did this okay. and like judging the man Kanye. And for me, um, I looked at this idea of like what is worship, who are – who are we worshiping? What is the focal point of worship? And so with that, I'm like, yo, the point isn't even the people, the person singing or the audience. Um, it's, the, it's the action and it's who you're worshiping. So I, I think that's why it may have resonated. Honestly, um, I don't really know, though. But I would guess that's, that was what was different <clears throat> with mine. Yeah, I mean, I think, I, I mean, obviously we, we know that just the topic of Kanye as the person, as the artist, <clears throat> excuse me, as anything that has to do with him is going to, in some capacity, elicit a response. Yeah. And I think one of the things that I'm most fascinated about Kanye is that everything that he does is so analyzed, it's so examined, it's so, like, everything is just under such a microscope. And I think, I think... That's positive and that's negative, um, both for him and to him, because I think part of that is how he operates. Mm -hmm. Like, I think part of it is that he wants people to react. Right. Um, and, you know, like, there's the idea of, like, any publicity is good publicity, right? Um, and that's true and that's false, and we know that. But he is such a polarizing character. He really is. And it's almost like he's... Either a he's just brilliant, and that he's he's comfortable making people uncomfortable, mm -hmm. or he's just completely off the reservation. And I don't entirely know which one is which. I think it could be a little bit of both. 
Um, but it is. I think I think Kanye is wildly fascinating from the perspective that he just can't do anything without everybody looking into it and without everybody. And I think it's also kind of just the day and age that we are where with social media, with everything else, that it's just it's easy to see and hear the things that he does and the places that he goes. And um, But, yeah, I think I think Kanye is fascinating. I think he is, too. I think also a couple of days ago I thought about this idea of, like, uh, how Kanye has this very appears to have this very high level of self esteem, right? Mm-hmm. I only say appears because I don't know him personally, so sure. I only see what he says in the press and what he does in the public. But I remember, I think either hearing him say it or hearing the article talking about that um, there was a point where he hopped on stage with uh, Kid Cudi at some festival, and he was talking about how like. He was ashamed to go outside because he had gained a bunch of weight and he knew people would judge him by the way he looks. Hmm. And it made me think about, like, the fact that Kanye is not bulletproof. So I wonder, like, as much as he may posture to make it seem like nothing hurts him and he doesn't care, like, Kanye might go home and cry. And, like, but none of us would ever know that. Right. Um, Which that's a fascinating idea because it's like, why would you bottle that up? Like, Although I feel like if Kanye was like, hey, you guys are hurting my feelings, people probably wouldn't care um, because he's been so arrogant in that in some sense. <laughs> yeah, but I think I think that's a common thing that we do to celebrities. Yeah. Like, I think it's I think it's I think it's much easier to interact with celebrities from a celebrity standpoint instead of actually thinking about them as human. Mm hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. And, and you see it all the time, like, with sports specifically. Um, and, and, I mean, any any realm where there is some sort of celebrity status. But, like, the, the athletes, it's really interesting because we buy into a team in some capacity. You know, a team that we like or the hometown team or they've got a star that you like or whatever. And so you 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 become... Like, you begin to identify with their success and failure as a team. Right. And so when all of a sudden when my identity is being challenged or my identity is, like, being torn down because this team that I support is not succeeding well, well, all of a sudden, like, now I have to, like, interact with people who may like the opposite team. And they're going to give me crap mm-hmm. because my team didn't perform well. Right. And so now it's almost like it's become personal. Yeah. It's like, dog, we're talking about a basketball game <laughs> that I'm not playing in, yeah. that I wasn't even in attendance for. I literally just watched it on TV and got really excited. Um, but just like competitiveness and like back and forth banter between friends and stuff like that, it's really interesting. But like there's there's tons of – I know Russell Westbrook um, from the Oklahoma City Thunder – like he had an interaction with a fan earlier this season where um a fan was saying some things and then Russell Westbrook who's known for being like a pretty like explosive person within the NBA um and he's definitely like he said some things that he shouldn't have said over the course of his career like he gets in the face of this fan on mm-hmm. the sideline and kind of like like looking at it I think it's really easy to be like wow Russ, like you shouldn't have said that. Yeah, like he said some stuff like to this man and his wife. Yeah, like, yeah, I think I heard about it. Way not okay, right? <laughs> he um, let the chopper fly. Yeah, like he was really <laughs> looking to chop some stuff down. Uh, 
And then we kind of like look into the incident a little bit and we realize like, okay, this fan base, the the Utah Jazz fan base is notorious. Yeah. Like NBA, NBA players have always said that they're the worst fans in the entire NBA. Wow. Um, which is weird. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a very bad. Like... I know, right? <clears throat> and then you look into like, like, of course, then this guy who gets into this altercation with Russ, like all of a sudden he's got like some tweets from like his past that are coming up where mm. he's like – has some ideologies or beliefs that aren't great and so you look at these different types of things and you're like if my career if everybody is examining every single aspect of my career yeah and everybody's critiquing every single thing that i do and how the organization that i represent runs and what we do and everything like that if every single thing is under this microscope like there's going to be a point in time when i'm just going to want to throw it on with everybody yeah um or there's going to be this point when I have some form of like a breakdown because I just I don't know that we were made to receive I don't, I don't think we were like that closely examined and so you look at any of these like like I think I think that's for me again I'm staying kind of within the sports realm there's obviously other examples but like somebody like LeBron James that's why I have a ton of respect for him because you have to understand that this dude has been under that microscope since he was in high school. Right. Like, freshman year of high school yeah. really when, like, he's on the national stage. Like, everyone's saying, oh, he's going to be the next this. He's going to be the next that. He's, like, the best high school player in the country as a freshman in high school. The kid's 14. That's crazy. I mean, he's on the cover of Sports Illustrated when he's, like, 15 or 16. That's wild. Yeah. And for him to have walked all of that out since, like, his early teens to now being, like, 33, 34, 35 – and as far as we know, like, he's kept his crap together. Mm-hmm. You know, like, he has not, you know, like, he's still with, like, the girl that he was with in high yeah, school. Yeah, 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 You know, like, they've got a, you know, I think <coughs> I think we've seen some clips where, like, just some, like, cool dad moments. Yeah. So, like, some cool husband moments. Some, like, you know, he, he's, he's had to deal with a ton of stuff, like, the scrutiny, the pressure, all this type of stuff. Like, people, like, writing racial slurs on, like, his garage door when he's living in L.A. Like, just crazy stuff. And, like, you, you don't see him pop off a ton. Right. Like, he doesn't really have a whole lot of, like, negative interactions with media. Um, he's just kind of, like, he's just been very, very admirable and respectable in, in terms of the way that he's gone about stuff while also utilizing his platform really well. Um, but, yeah, I mean, man, like, to really think about the fact that Kanye West is a human being. Yeah. I don't know that we think that way all the time. I don't think I don't think anyone <laughs> does. And I think that's the that's the issue. It's like uh, it's I don't yeah. I mean, I think it goes with like this idea of like I don't think we're built to be able to handle it. And definitely not like alone, but yeah. like I I don't think fame is is something that's necessarily healthy for anybody at all. Yeah, that's whew, that's a good thought. <laughs> like I I think it's like it's <clears throat> it's inherently unhealthy. Because you, you like, it's even when we speak of, like, social media, it's like, I'm a brand. I'm a brand. But it's like, to be a brand, you're no longer human. Like, I don't care if I hurt cornflakes' feelings, because they're cornflakes. They don't have feelings. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, Frosted Flakes. <clears throat> Tony the Tiger is a brand. Tony the Tiger is not real. I can talk about him however I want. I mean, but... You better put some respect on his name. On uh, Tony the Tiger's name, dog? Yeah, we can scrap it. No, nah, we're not going to scrap over <laughs> Tony the Tiger, bro. Or, like, King Vitamin. Who really cares about King Vitamin? <laughs> we're endorsing all these products. I mean, listen, and... I don't know if our listeners are on welfare, so they may not know about King Vitamin. 
And if you are, King Vitamin's delicious. Uh, and if you are, that's okay, too. Yeah, because it's delicious. No, I'm uh, talking about being unwell for that. That's okay. Yeah, because it's delicious. <laughs> Live your life. Bridge card gang. Um, but <laughs> I'm showing my economic standing. Um, but, yeah, I just think, like, when we start looking at people as solely just brands Mm -hmm. and like we can have hot takes and say whatever we want about them and what we think about them about people we don't actually know it's like it's a very wild like concept and there's no accountability at all you know what i'm saying so like yeah like that's one of the things like like again we sound super old talking about this (laughs) (laughs) but like the, the whole thing about like social media is so fascinating because there's no accountability and and I, as this just like random dude in Lansing, Michigan, I I essentially have access to anybody I want, mm. um, and I can I can talk to anybody I want, and I can say whatever it is that I want, without any form of like ramifications in the real world. Right. And so I can I can I can I can watch Kanye's Coachella performance, and I can tweet up a storm, and I can mm-hmm. I can put all this type of stuff on social media. Um, but I'm willing to bet if I were to have like a sit down conversation with Kanye and actually like talk through a little bit of these things, like it would obviously be way different in right. terms of like how I thought about it or how I viewed it or whatever. Um, <coughs> like maybe he wants to join us on the Just Winging It podcast. Hey, if he wants to, feel free. <laughs> we're all about it. Um, but like I could say anything, and yeah, like I could, yeah. I could, you know, I could talk crap about somebody. I can, I can do whatever, and I think. You know, like I can I can say some like really hateful, mean stuff um, and there's nothing that that person can do. Like there's nothing that that person can like, you know, obviously like there's some wild stories of people being like meeting up as a result of like social media. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and those aren't really positive. A lot no, of times. not at all. Um, ours with Kanye would be um, if you wanted to come by. We, we drink a lot of really good coffee if he, if he likes 100%. coffee. But if he doesn't, we can do hot chocolate. Yeah, tea. I don't care. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I could, you know, I don't I don't know. Like, I, have you gotten any reactions from this, uh, from this literary piece? Oh, from my... That, uh, <laughs> that you contributed? That I could... I mean, so yeah, I've gotten some like negative ones. And for me, like... Like, uh, like hate stuff? Like, like negative, like... They're more they're more taking shots at Rapzilla. And so okay. I, I've been trying that's the publication that posted the article. So what I've been trying to do is be like, Okay, I understand this is what you think, but like Rapzilla didn't say this this these things, right? This is my opinion, um, and I stand behind it. Um but like I mean the only like I've been getting a lot of people well, two people specifically that said the whole like since I said that Coachella not being filled with a bunch of people of color took away from the experience because it felt weird of if they're actually appreciating it or just um seeing it as entertainment why being black culture why is that an issue because (laughs) because it's like for me it's something that's sacred and important that i think like you have to appreciate it instead of just consuming it like it's something that you you just throw away when you're done with it Okay. And so um, I just thought, I like, there's parts where the choir director, Jason White's like, uh, if you know the words, sing along. And, like, they, you can visibly tell they don't know these words 
because so, so know, really you're talking about like the black church experience yeah 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 so we're putting on a show of the black church experience without Which, without a lot of like black minority people. representation yeah. in the audience and so there was just a gap, is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There, okay. Which, like, and I guess it's Coachella. And so, in a sense, maybe that was the point. Okay. Um, I was just saying to for, expose them to? Yeah. Okay. But I was just saying, for me, it just feels weird. Like, it takes away from, like, my enjoyment of it. Um, but, like, the backlash has been, but we're the body of Christ. Uh, why are you causing division? Why does race need to be an issue? And I'm like, because uh, we live... Uh, in America, where racism is still running rampant. I think one dude, my response to him was like, um, because racism is a sin and it's wrong. And um, if I feel like, I was just like, this is something that's like special. So if it makes me feel weird, like my feelings are relevant if I'm doing a piece on how something made me feel. If I was doing a news article where I'm just reporting the news, my feelings aren't important. But this was like, purely an opinion based Mm -hmm. piece so it's like you can't be like yo you're so wrong for saying that Mm -hmm. you're talking about the sun was really hot and people were sweating they're like well the sun was really hot and i was sweating i felt like it was you know like i'm not cnn um i'm james garden (laughs) so if you want to get a cnn report read cnn um but yeah i but there hasn't been a lot and then like the people who have like, the ones that have, like, tried to, like, say stuff at Rapzilla, because it goes back to the idea of Rapzilla as a brand, right? So they don't, feel, they don't feel like they're talking to a person, so they can say whatever they want. So when I respond to one, I'm like, Rapzilla didn't say this, I say this. Mm-hmm. I said it. This is me. None of them have responded back to me. Right. I'm like, probably because they don't, they don't want to confront a person. And for me, it's not about conversation. Confrontation. We can have, like, we can have dialogue and discourse. We can have a healthy conversation. Yeah. Once you once it gets unhealthy, I'm just gonna not talk. What's your uh, interaction with Rapzilla been since you posted the article? Uh I've talked to like only like two of the dudes from there. I mean, it's been good. Okay. Like, I think they're excited that the article is doing pretty well. Our our relationship has always been pretty good, though. But it's not like they had any. They didn't have any beef with stuff that you wrote or nah. anything like that. They they liked it a lot, so cool. they didn't have any issues. As far as I know, if yeah. they know my email, if they did, but no, from from what I know, they enjoyed it. All right, um, so that makes me that makes me think about something. Uh, Pat, what kind of church do you go to? Currently, yeah, or growing up. Uh, currently, I attend a church that is. Um, very diverse across a lot of different lines. Um, I think it's interesting when I think about my church and the way that different people would respond to it. I think if a lot of people who are coming from majority culture or white people, um, white, white, um, I think that they would, I think they would look at my church and be like, Oh, this is like, uh, you know, traditional historic, like black church. Yeah. Um, and I think that they would think that way for some good reasons. I mean, it's a, it's a black led church. Pastor Coy is, uh, a black guy. Um, so you may think that, um, but I also know that there have been some people who, um, are from black and brown communities who have come and felt like it's has like a lot of twists of like a white church. Mm. Um, 
And I think I think that difference, I think that type of uh, that type of uniqueness is is really cool because we really do have a lot of different people ranging in race, ranging in um, uh, age, ranging in kind of like socioeconomic levels and stuff like that. Um, and so it's a very diverse church. Um, it's also a very different church than churches that I grew up in okay. um, that were much more uh just traditional white evangelical churches okay and so um but that was that that for me was by design and that for me was something that i sought out a place like this um and so for me to actually be at a place that i feel like is accomplishing a lot of the stuff that i was looking for in a church home was was kind of by design that's dope and for for y'all that don't know Patrick is the uh, the white man in the photo. <laughs> wow! Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Jeez. Gotcha. Uh, no, I I think that's a very like in, uh, interesting like perspective. Just because I know like Sundays can be so segregated. I mean, in my instance, I'm a black man that goes to a church that's maybe like ninety eight point eight percent black. Like. I think I can count all our white members on one hand. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've visited predominantly white churches before, though, and, like, felt comfortable there. Um, but my home church, most of the people look like I do. Yeah. Um, why do you think it's – why do you think it's separate? Whew. I mean, I know there's historical yeah. reasons, but why do you think it's – like, why haven't we – for lack of a better term, gotten over ourselves. Mm. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I, I I don't know that you can I don't know that you can answer that question without the historical context, right? You know, like, um, I I mean, obviously, our our churches were segregated initially, like legally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, and so I think. I think when we look over the course of like our history as a nation, the reality is is like you and I could not worship together had uh-huh. we grown up in different generations and different decades and stuff like that. And so, um, so for us as as white people, white Christians, even um, we we created that system, and so we created a system where we said you can't be here. Right. You can't worship with us. You can't, you know, we're going to do some systemic things in order to um, keep you away from a lot of these systems. And so I, I think that's where historically you see black people say, well, we still want to go to church. We still want yeah. to worship. We still want to do whatever. And so I guess we're just going to have to do our own. Um, I think, and again, we're we're going through a lot of <laughs> history really quickly um you know to go from that to today yeah, yeah. But i think i think in terms of why it's that way today i think a lot of it is because of historical precedent um i also think that there is um i think that racism still exists in 2019 really um, i know it's that's why hot take but you hot know take on the podcast today but our president was black and my lambo was blue oh. so you know <laughs> Um, yeah, post like, racial you know, yeah, post-racial. Oh, I get disgusting. Um, no, man, I think, I think, I think it's, I think it's wildly foolish to deny that just because the civil rights movement came and there were successes within that movement, I think it's foolish to ignore 
the realities that still exist today. Right. Um, and and so I think I think if if you've got racist systems that are still in place today, I think you're always going to see some form of division. Mm. Um, I think it gets really really interesting, and I think it gets really really messy when we start talking about it with the church because. Um, I, what we have done is is while we have we meaning white people specifically what we've done is is we've been challenged so much on the issues of like overt racism that we know that it's probably not a good look for us to use the n-word right right like it's probably not okay for us to be like hey if you look like this you have to go sit in the balcony um and so while we can while we know that like that overt strain of racism just isn't okay and wrong we'll we'll mask it like we'll use other words you know um i think i think when we look in the news and we look at different stuff like that that are happening you know different news stories and stuff like that like there's a narrative that's being told of of who black people are what black pastors do what a black church could look like that is it's it's coded language um, and coded language is not new either, um, but oftentimes within like predominantly white evangelical circles, what you'll hear when talking about like black churches or black church experiences is you'll hear these like you'll hear a lot of these these phrases um, that are used not to identify but to um, but to offer up some sort of like cautionary tale. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that you oftentimes hear is like, oh, like, like black churches are so charismatic. Mm. Like they're just so, they're just so like, they, they just focus too much on the Holy Spirit. Um, that's what, that's, it's real. Like it's a, no, it's, it's, wild. A, it's yeah. a super real thing. As if like, as if charisma, as if, as if uh, a church that has a potential like charismatic bent, as if they are less, biblically sound and 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 christ-centered and 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 god-focused than you know like your white evangelical like non-denominational church um and so we use these coded languages and we we grow up as white people with these preconceived notions of what um what a black church looks like or or what you can expect and so we just begin to I think that we believe these narratives. I also firmly believe that there's this idea, and it comes from uh, Pastor Brian Loritz, um, who's out in California right now. He's written a bunch of really good books about just these topics and, and different things like that. And one of the things that he's always said from the very beginning is uh, this idea that uh, proximity breeds empathy. Mm. And so without there being some sort of physical proximity, we will fundamentally not understand one another and we will fundamentally not be able to connect with one another because we can't feel with one another. That's good. And so we do have a physical proximity issue. If you look at even just like within our city, <clears throat> you don't see a lot of predominantly white churches within the city limits. There's just not a lot of them. Um, what you do see within the city limits is you see a lot of predominantly black-led churches um, and then you can get into this idea of, of, of geographical barriers and different things like that and, and, and perpetual fears of the city, which really is like a perpetual fear of the people in the city. Um, 
And so there's there's a ton of stuff. I think I think we we've, we've got coded language, which is an issue. I think we've got a wild misconception that there there is this there is this strain of thought that says that the average black pastor is less qualified than the average white pastor. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, you 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 can see it from from my vantage point. Obviously, it's a little it's it's pretty unique what I'm what I'm learning. Um, but what you have is 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 you have this idea that there are no theologically rich black pastors, <laughs> or you have this idea that like just inherently the white pastors are going to be better qualified uh, or more qualified, better trained, um, you know, because they're not they're not yelling and 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 getting all excited and stuff like that. Instead, these white pastors are just going through the text exegetically. Uh, you know, breaking down scripture and da 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 da. Um, yeah, but it's also boring. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's all these differences, and and I think I think ultimately we're gonna we're gonna fear what we don't understand. Yeah. Um, and unless we've actually been to these places, we we don't know. And and I think I think for me that's where my journey, finding my church home and and finding a pastor that I wanted to submit to, that's where. For me, it had to be very different, and it had to be very intentional of how I went about it because for me, what I said was, you know, and it, and it started a lot like in 2014, 2015, where I just, I felt like I needed to be somewhere else than where I was. And so I kind of went through this thing, and, and I ended up at this conference in Memphis, and actually it was Brian Luritz, who I, who I mentioned a minute ago. Um, he speaks at this conference and, and one of the things that he said was, he was like, you as a white person, you'll understand, like you'll, as a white person, you'll know that you are making strides within the world of racial reconciliation when you're able to comfortably submit to a black pastor mm. and not have to be on the same level of authority. Like not like, like, yeah, you could, yeah. like you could be there and just submit to the authority of the black pastor without having to be in some form of leadership. So you can like keep an eye on them keep check on him. You know what I'm saying? And like, um, and for me, I sat there and I was with some really close friends and I told them, I was like, I could do that. And they were like, but you haven't. Mm. And I was like, no, no, no. Like we're not, I get that. But I'm saying like moving forward, I could do that. Uh, and one of my mentors, he was like, then you need to go, like when you get home, you need to go do that. And you need to begin this search. Yeah. Um, and so, like for me, it was, it was this thing where I spent a lot of time just like thinking about and praying about like where God would place me, where I could, I, it would be a place where I could grow. And, and, and yeah, I would be challenged on every level because the stuff that I would experience probably would be a little bit different than what I'm used to. Um, but a place where I could grow, a place that would appreciate me, a place that I could, um, have some things challenged and pushed and stuff like that. And so what I did is like, I came back and I literally just made a list of like the black churches I knew about. <laughs> and I was like, all right, well, bet, I guess I just got to go like try a bunch of them out and yeah. see which one I like. Right. <laughs> uh, and so I went to, you know, like I, I went to where you go and I went to a couple others and um, ultimately I ended up at the one where I'm at now. And, and it just, it felt like home. It felt like, um, and I think that transition was different for me because of the context in which I live my life on a daily basis anyways, yeah. where I don't hang around, <laughs> I don't hang out with, or I'm not, I don't spend a ton of time around like predominantly white crowds. 
Um, I think the work that I do, I think the friends that I have, I think, I think all of these types of things were kind of just ingrained in who I am to be able to be at a place like I am now from a church perspective. Um, and so like, there were certain things that like the first time I went to this church that they did some things that like were different. Yeah. Like not bad in any just way, different, but yeah. like I'm, I'm watching it and I'm like, Oh, that's different. That's different. <laughs> like, I, but it was also exciting for me because it was like, that was what I wanted. I wanted to experience something that I hadn't experienced before. Um, and it wasn't like, it wasn't like a bucket list item. You no, know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. I just want to like try the black church let experience. Me, me, uh, um, but it was, dabble it was in that. yeah, it was, it was something that like, um, listen, like when, and not to get like wildly theological, uh, or Christianese on this podcast where we're just winging it. Um, <laughs> but like, listen, <laughs> Heaven's going to be filled with a lot of people who look a lot different than everyone else. True. You know what I'm saying? And so at that point, we need to get really comfortable today with what the way that we're going to spend eternity. That's real. And so at that point, um, at that point, we need to do something. And and at that point, like, if we're if we're bugging about it now, like, what's it going to look like when we're spending eternity with a, an entire like myriad of just Different, different people, people and stuff like that. Obviously, we're not going to care because we're in the presence of God. Whatever, whatever. But <laughs> some people act like they don't care. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. I mean, that that's kind of been my journey. Um, that's been a little bit of of what we're doing. Um, but yeah, I mean, what like what's yours been? How have you ended up where you're at? I mean, I feel like mine's not going to be as, <laughs> as as rich as yours. I mean. Honestly, I've, I've always went to a black church. Um, I, I've went to some different types. Uh, so when I lived in Arizona, I don't, I don't know what denomination it was, but it was one of those churches where you go to church every day. Okay. So like Wednesday. Like every day, every day. Not every day, but like we'd go for Bible study. There was a Friday night service okay. that would end at like two a.m. Wow. And then they'd go and eat breakfast together. And then okay. I'd be there for, like, choir rehearsal on Saturday and then Sunday. Um, that church was a little weird because when my parents split, they got really um, cultish, for lack of a better statement. They were like, nobody can talk to them. They told, like, no one could talk to my mom because she had a divorce demon on her. And it got it got really weird, <laughs> like really weird. I was like, "This is different." But I think during that time, we ended up going to a white church, okay. um, just because she wanted us to go to church, but we obviously couldn't go there anymore. Sure. All I remember from that church is that we watched cartoons in the back and ate donuts, so it it worked for me. Um, but no, I like I think like predominantly I went to like black church. I know like. Um, when I, when I first started going to Pilgr- Pilgrim Rest, the church I go to, I know our like our first pastor, he had issues, a lot of issues, but he taught well, and so like yeah, you're right. It was like this weird. As I came into adulthood, it was like this weird thing of like, yeah, you're messing up in these other areas. You know your word, you know how to teach it and break mm-hmm. it down, but um, there's a there's a disconnect somewhere. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't, I mean. I I visit churches that aren't predominantly black. I feel comfortable wherever I go. Um, But I think, like, there's some places that, like, if I notice there aren't, like, people of color 
in leadership or people if the only time i see people in color is when they're singing and performing Hmm. um that makes me feel uncomfortable why because i feel like they're entertainers and not actual like members or or people that that you would trust to um teach the gospel Hmm. and so that's part of your tension that you felt with coachella yeah right like so when you when you had said that we're Coachella was kind of providing a black church experience without the constituents, yeah, audience yeah. members, really Being representing a lot of that. It does feel a little bit showy. Yeah. And, and it could feel uh, kind of like taking advantage of. Right. Yeah. Like, I don't I don't know if it's technically exploitation, but it feels a little bit. And I guess maybe... I was the, avoiding that word. Hey, I... <laughs> But I think, <laughs> but I think, I think maybe that's that's why it rubbed me the wrong yeah, way. That's fair. Like not solely because that's it's fair. Coachella doing it, but because I've seen churches be like, "Oh, we want you in our church," right? And like the people want to like be discipled and they want to like learn how to, like they feel that God's calling them to teach or preach. And sometimes churches like, "Oh, no, 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 uh, I want you to go on stage and just perform yeah. because that's where I'm comfortable leaving you at because." At some point, I think people see worship as a part of entertainment and the service. So you're looking at it like, no, I trust you to sing songs to them, but yeah. not to actually teach them. Yeah. And I think, I think, I think, and because that's, you know, I, I spent the last couple minutes reading through some of the comments <laughs> of of your of the post. Yeah, and yeah. And obviously, yeah. like Rapzilla shares it and whatever. And so on Facebook, there's a bunch of comments. That that to me is is where I saw a lot of kind of like the beef start. Yeah. And, and beef is obviously a strong word. It's not like people are really looking to like. I mean, they don't want it. no smoke. <laughs> At <Yeah>. all. Right. <laughs> Intimidating force. Holy smoke. Uh, holy smoke. <laughs> that should be the name of our podcast. <laughs> uh, no, but like that's. I, I feel like I feel like that comment that you made is really what is like kind of drudging up a lot of like trigger points for people because <clears throat> you are simply just articulating an observation. Yeah. Right? Uh, but also you're articulating an observation based on your real life context. Exactly. And 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 your narrative as a black man in yeah. America. Yeah. The reality is is like while you're making a comment about Coachella, that's something that you see Societally, yeah, 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 right. And so, the point that I get frustrated on, again, I, I, I understand that like my life experiences and my my like social context and stuff like that is very different than uh, a lot of like majority culture people. Um, but that to me is like that. I felt like I was getting pissed by the people who were getting pissed <laughs> for you saying something that was just an observation of your own experience. And so the the point really becomes, like, why is it, like, I, I feel like the question is much less about, like, why do we have black churches? Why do we have white churches? Right. I feel like the conversation really needs to be, like, why can't we just call a spade a spade? Like, why can't we just keep it a buck enough to be, like, this is the reality? Um, and, and why do predominantly white people, white, uh, white. I'm fascinated by the fact that white people can't talk about race. They get super uncomfortable. Madly uncomfortable. And they shouldn't. I, they should. You think they should get uncomfortable? I think I think that they should be uncomfortable to a degree. 
I think that because I think I think for a white person to really interact with the space of race, mm-hmm. there's gonna have to be a level of ownership. Right, but I mean, and like, so like like here's the thing is like, and and this is across the board. This is not just about yeah, race, yeah, but yeah. like if I challenge you on something, yeah, if I push you on something as a brother who I love and and as somebody who I labor with and walk through life with, if I'm if I say like, listen, James, you wear scarves too much around your neck. <laughs> And like they're terrible and they're awful and they look ugly. I'm now, like, bro, of, you're lying. Because of who you are and because of what our relationship is, like you'll laugh that off and like whatever. But like on some level, if I challenge you on anything, yeah, yeah. like the natural reaction, even if you're even if you like lash out, like you it's still like there's something that happens inside of you where you're a little bit uncomfortable about the fact that I'm being called out for something. And so I, I feel like there needs to be a level of discomfort. And not and and not I could guilt see that. and not guilt like but, I don't yeah, I don't want yeah. you to carry like you know I don't want you to feel beat up and like listen like I I am not as a white man I'm not gonna walk through this earth looking at every single black person I come in contact with and I'm like hey man I'm really sorry about slavery <laughs> that would be so weird exactly that would like, be so like, weird or, or or like to walk through everybody and be like hey listen like I understand like systemic oppression. And I understand that, like, I'm a white person and I've benefited from systems that you have not been able to benefit from. I'm really sorry about that. Like, here's the thing. Like, I I am never in my entire life going to apologize for being white. Right. Because, number one, I had no control over that. At all. Uh, I, had, I had no say in that. Uh, I didn't get a vote. You know what I'm saying? And, like, like, so when God created Patrick, he created me to be the offspring of Bob and Mary Kay, who are two white people. So, statistically... Well, your mom's name is Mary Kay? Like, yeah. the company? Yeah. Does she own big, it? She's a big deal. Wow! I, Patrick's mom is Mary Kay. <laughs> Pink caddy and everything. <laughs> she whipping that job. Uh, Skirt! But yeah, man, like, I, like, but I do, I, I do firmly believe that, like, like, yes, I think you're going to be uncomfortable, and and for my opinion, like, I'll speak for the whites, um, like, I think that's okay to feel it, like, I want, I want you to feel the weight of what the world is that we live in, um, and like I said, I don't want that to manifest into guilt, and I don't want that to manifest right. into shame, but like. I'm okay with like a slight discomfort. I'm okay with like I'm okay with like white people who are showing up at a black church and feeling a little bit uncomfortable about that. What you do with that discomfort, I think is what's really important. Are you going to run from it? Are you going to like shame what you think is different? Are you yeah. going to or are you going to seek to understand? Are you going to seek to like like gain clarification? Are you going to seek, you know, like cuz that's the thing when I started going to the church where I'm at now, I actually sat down with the pastor and I was like, "Hey, listen, can you help me understand why you guys do da 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 da? Mm. And, 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 and I've talked to my pastor since then, and like there was no part of his spirit that felt like I was challenging him or, right, right. You were you just... know, or like trying to check anything like that. I was literally asking out of like genuine curiosity yeah. of like, hey, listen, like this is different than what I've experienced. Why do you do this? And, you know, his answer was, oh, well, you know, da da da. And he was able to break it down in such a way that it, it enhanced my appreciation for right. it. And I was like, oh, that's real. Like, I appreciate that. Now that you kind of broke it down, whether biblically or just, you know, whatever, like, I was like, okay, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, like, yeah. Um, but yeah, the, 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 the fear within jumping into race is super real. 
Um, and I think it's because there's a lot of mutual hurt and a lot of mutual discomfort and a lot of mutual like distrust. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think because that is prevalent societally, I think you're going to see it in every realm. That's right. And, and church is not going to be excused from that. Not at all. You know, we see it in education. We see it in government. We see it in everything else. Why would it not be prevalent church. within church yeah. as well? Um, I mean, I, I was listening to a podcast and somebody was talking about Coachella and with Kanye. And, and one of the things that he said is he was like, if, if people really wanted to experience the black church, just go to one. That is true. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's a bunch I mean, you may not have musicians that good, but <laughs> that may be true. That may be true. But but no, you. But you know what I'm saying? Like yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And I think I think that was their rub with Coachella was to say we're creating the spectacle of something that is a really strong like pillar within a lot of communities. Yeah. And so at that point, like, and it's Coachella, and it's right, right, right. And it's because I mean, like, they're gonna do. Beyonce did the same thing. Yeah, exactly. Right. And I think you know. And and so at that point, like I think it does partially go back to just who Kanye is and how polarizing he can be, yep. and how much of a trigger he is for a lot of people. Um, but the reality is, is like this is a conversation that there's these types of things that happen that really could spur on some really good conversation, um, and not just like social media warriors who want to like pick fights in the comment section. They're my um, favorite. They are not my favorite. Oh, I'm here for all the smoke. So <clears throat> I'm here for all the smoke in the sense that like if you want to pull up. <laughs> Like pull up. No, I'm like here. if I say something in the pot that somebody's really pissed off about, my social media is in nah, the description. Bro. Hit me up, send a DM. We can chop it up anytime. See me, and I'm, I'm gonna bring a mob. Oh and- my god, <laughs> that's horrible, Pat. Me, I'm just like yo, like all right, let me know what you like, what, what you're thinking, and like if you can back it up with like actual like facts or like. You know, like the state, the statement you're making is true. I'm willing to concede to whatever I thought because I'm wrong. But if it's like you speaking straight from your feelings, we can stop the conversation because it's. I mean, your feelings are like valid to you, but like they're not valid to be truth, absolute truth. Um, so I'm always down to have discourse in that sense. Yes, yeah. I think. I, yeah, I think always let what you know trump how you feel. Right. You know, like your feelings are super real. And and we we don't need to like, well yeah freedom of speech I can say whatever I want yeah but you you shouldn't you, be a dick no you shouldn't <laughs> like there's some things you, you shouldn't want like, to say yeah. even if you could say whatever you you right. shouldn't want to say it um, but I think there's something you said like about I think part of why um, we don't really have like the race conversation as much as we should. Is like I think with your situation, you've made relationships with people that look totally. different than you, right? And I feel like without relationship, one, it's hard to have those conversations, and two, I think that um, some people who aren't having these conversations, it's because when they get called out, hmm. since they don't have those relationships, it's hard for them to see those calling outs as being valid yeah so they're literally like no you're just upset you're Mm -hmm. just being mad oh you're bringing up slavery again um you know and like it's easy to do that when you don't have a a genuine relationship with a person yeah i i think about that and that's a missing link yeah 100 percent. like if you look at oh man we're going off but (laughs) i think when you look at some of the instances that have become 
very highly viewed instances of police injustice. Mm. And I say highly viewed because these things are not new. These things are not rare. These things are not They're going to amplify because they're recorded. But I'm talking about like the specific ones that have been viewed because they're recorded, etc. You see these two communities respond very differently. You see a black community respond to Trayvon in a way that the white community majority like as a whole is not responding in the same way right right and and i think even for me when i am i remember like i i I had this really long like facebook post uh in the wake of eric gardner um and and i was blasted for it like like i had family members who were like coming for my neck are you serious dead serious um and what i tried so hard to convey was like because of the nature in which i work I'm working with predominantly black and brown young men. Mm-hmm. And so when I see when I see when I see these types of things happening and it's and it in no way takes away from Eric Gardner's story and no way does it take away from Mike Brown's story and and the loss of that family and and so on and so forth, but when I see these young men I don't see them. Instead, I see the real face of a student that I know. Uh-huh. And so for me, I have the I have the vantage point. I have the perspective. I have the real, like you said, relationship that for me, when I see Eric Gardner on the ground saying, I can't breathe, I can, I can immediately go to the face of a student of mine uh-huh. who is of similar build, of similar complexion, of similar lifestyle. Yeah. And for me, because I have the proximity... <laughs> have a greater degree of empathy in that point because I can say that's like when I see that I can see this student who I've walked with since he was in eighth grade right and for me I can begin to feel how would I respond if it were not Eric and instead it was this student who I know and and for me this is this post that I'm making and I'm, I'm like pouring out my heart of like this is why I'm grieving like right. this is why I'm willing to stand on this platform um, that's also why I'm willing to leverage my privilege in order to in order to wade into the waters of some of these conversations because it's real to me like it's a real person it's a real relationship um, and I think when we when we get too far away from these issues and we get way too far away from whatever it is that's happening much like we talked about earlier with celebrities we can actually lose the humanity that is that is there like at the end of the day that was a human being whose life was cut short right and if you want to look at it from this like christian perspective and if you want to look at it from this faith vantage point of saying like well that's a life that was cut short before redemption can happen Mm. and so that's a that's a story where the act and the movement of something inside of their life and the potential was cut short. And again, for somebody like myself who works with young men all day, every day in a public school setting, in an urban environment, like that's a real thing. And, and so to, to walk with students who are perpetually fearful of the police and not like on just some like BS, like F the police, NWA tip, yeah. like just saying it to be outlandish, but like consistently walking their entire life fearful of an inevitable interaction with law enforcement. It forced me to have to press into that. That's, it yeah. forced me to say, I have no fear when I interact with the police. Right. 
why? Like, why Like why do I not feel the same? Like, I'm in a car with five of these kids, and we get pulled over, and they're immediately, like, freaking out. Right. And I'm looking around, like, guys, it's cool. Like, it's just a cop. It's just a cop. Like, you know? And so, for me, I had to begin to press into that. And I had to, I had to expand my experiences. I had to expand the people who I allow to speak into my life. I had to expand the books that I read, the podcasts that I listen to, the sermons I listen to, the the blogs that I, I read, you know, I, I just, I had to begin to gather more and, and, and yeah, was it challenging? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, like there was stuff that like, I, I like still to this day, there are specific things that along the lines of like race and racial reconciliation, there's certain things that like I can point, I can, I can reference back to as like, those were huge beacons that like shifted a lot of the way that I think and operate. Um, but I think you're right. I think it starts with the relationships that we have to actually be engaged with one another, you know? We do. Um, all right, so do you have any closing comments? <clears throat> I feel like you just talked a lot. Man, uh, I, just, I feel like I just went, I went hard in the paint. Just you now. did, but it was dope. I'm breaking it was, you, sweat. Like, <laughs> you dunked from, like, the free throw line. It was amazing. You hit a young windmill behind the back. <sighs> It was, it was beautiful. Every every stocky white kid's dream. <laughs> to to Being dunk. Able to dunk. <laughs> One day. Doubtful. Ah, I mean, with technology, probably copy some like bionic knees. No, I don't want. I don't want to fake it. Oh, you really, want a natural? I really want to bang. You want? Can you dunk on like a seven foot? No, man. I, it's ten or bust. Oh my gosh, bro! What about an eight? No, man. Ten or bust. No. All right. Listen, I'm white. I've had the rim lowered my entire life. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> we're ending right there. That is perfect. All right, y'all. Thank you for tuning in. So we're just winging it. Uh, make sure you subscribe. Um, I was about to be like, if you hit the bell, this isn't YouTube. But no, nah, make sure you subscribe. Uh, tell your friends about the podcast. Uh, if you see us in Lansing, um, Pat likes Diet Coke. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I like Gatorade. Uh, <laughs> do with that whatever you want. All right. Talk to you soon. Peace. Peace.